Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, my uh, my new guilty pleasure is the 99 cent store. Me and the lovely Joanne have been going, and it's just, it's the best thing ever. I mean, I used to go, I really didn't go a lot, but now we go at least once a week. And it's amazing. You go in there, and I found, like, I don't eat a lot of junk food, but I found these... Uh, Cheez-Its that are shaped like angry birds and I was so bummed because they had them one week and they didn't have them the next week and you just find this stuff that is so random like no one else gets it and they have the diet Shasta grapefruit which just tastes just like Fresca and I'm a happy camper now don't get me wrong I wouldn't get like a sushi or a rack of lamb from there but the, the stuff is just great and I'll tell you the best part is I have an idea for a TV show and I think it'd be great it's a reality show I've always wanted to try to do a reality show you know I had said that one where I would have a cupboard full of uh, food and and just have uh, students, college students, cook. And it'd be called Pot and Pans. And that's stupid, but I think that would work. But my one I want to do is, I don't have a title for it is, but it's I want to get hoarders. I want to get these people like from the TV show Hoarders, maybe like the best of hoarders. And I want to give them like $250 and send them to the 99 cent store. And whoever gets the best score wins. I think that'd be a good reality show. What do you think? My guest is Lisa Sunset. How you doing, Lisa? Hi, how are you, Steve? You, you're a writer. What do you, would, you, would you watch a show about hoarders going to the 99 cent store to get the best deal? Oh, absolutely. You know, the 99 cent store is the only place where you can get leg warmers, jalapenos, and a Jesus candle in the same aisle. I love the Jesus I love, you know, it's funny, <laughs> I never bought one, and I always go by, and the thing is, they have like, uh, they have like, 20 different kinds. They have like, I mean, all these different Jesus candles. And they have familiar brands with the name slightly altered, like their toothpaste Cresta. Yeah. <laughs> well, they do. It's, it's, I just, I mean, I go crazy. I sit there and I go in there and, and I just, I'm in awe because they, and even like their produce, they have, and I never thought they would have produce, but they have like, I've gotten asparagus there for like a buck when everyone else it's like, it's like four bucks everywhere else. And I, I, I eat healthy and I'm like sitting there, I'm like, God, it's a good deal. And it doesn't look crazy. Like they had zucchinis, no lie. Two of them, two of them. And they were like, like probably like a pound and a half. Like it's too much. And I was like for a buck, two of them, it was amazing. Wait, they only had two in the store? No, in a package. They put two. Yeah, they only had two. And I, I fought some Armenian lady. Actually, I, I was going to the one in Glendale, and now I go to the one in Burbank because it's a lot different. It's mm-hmm. weird. It's like it's like anywhere. It's like I, when I shop, like in Ralph's, I go to the nice. There's a nice Ralph's in Burbank, and then there's the ghetto Ralph's, and you notice like the different clientele. Yes, and just it looks dirty. Like like if you want to buy, if I was like a big junk food eater, I would go to the ghetto Ralph's because you know they have a lot of junk food because it's the ghetto store and that's like they always say in a, in a neighborhood if you have a, a lot of fast food joints it's a lower usually a lower income neighbor part of a neighborhood or a town because those the people who are less income are more accessible to getting the dollar menu it's very weird have you ever been to John's Market, where they try and make you think the light is out and it's Vons? Okay, I'm going to tell you, I, when I lived in Hollywood, there was a John's. I, I was at the John's in Glendale, okay? And I'm going to tell you what it, it, and this is God's honest truth. Great deals, but it honestly, John's, and it's so funny because it does look like Vons yeah, with a J. It, does. It, it It smells like Dracar and sweat. Oh, you walk in, it smells like fish, everyone's wearing robes, they don't use currency. Exactly. I don't know what this place is. Well, now you grew up, you grew up in Oceanside, so you grew up in LA. The LA area. Exactly, California. Now, did you go to school through Oceanside and all that? Uh Uh-huh, I went to high school, I dropped out of college after one year. Now, now you, I I found out, because people, I I met uh, Lisa last week, we were helping Yakov Smirnoff write his pilot, and we invited her on a show, and she does comedy, she runs a great show. class called Pretty Funny Women, which if you're going to take a comedy class, we'll get to that, but go to see her because she actually empowers you and she actually sits there. It's, it's not one of these, she has credits. It's not one of these crap classes. If you listen to the first hour, me and Jack Plotnick were talking about how he has an amazing resume and he teaches acting as a hobby, but he he's someone you want to go see because he has the chops. Lisa's the same way. She has the chops. You know, She's written for TV shows. She's, she's, she's worked. So you want to go to a class like that. But the weird thing is I'm seeing is you got your start singing Yes, I was a singer-dancer showgirl with the fake eyelashes and the wigs and everything. Now, as a kid, did you was your was your as a kid was your family very uh, was your family musical or funny or how did you end up gravitating towards this whole entertainment genre? Well, I was always producing shows for my family, you know, when I was a child and charging them to get in and that <laughs> kind of thing. And uh, then when I turned eighteen, this teacher 
uh, in my college asked me if I would be the lead in his play, but it was a musical. Now, where'd you go to college? Well, it was Miracosta College, community okay. college, All right. you know, one year. And uh, he wanted me to be the lead, and I didn't know how to sing, so I just took singing lessons really quickly. And I did the lead in this play, and I think I was horrible. But I kept studying, and then I got, you know, pretty good. And then I started working in my 20s. That's all I did was sing and dance. And I went to Morocco. And How did that happen? You sang for, like, a prince or Alibaba? This is going to sound like I'm lying. There was a woman named Gypsy. I never even knew her last name, but she took six girls with her to Morocco and Egypt and different places and to put on a show at the Hyatt Hotel Casablanca. We would do one show a night at midnight. The the girls had no talent, but they were beautiful, right? So only me and one other girl could sing. And the rest of the girls were just hot. Weren't you worried though? Because like I always, you always see like those. Well, maybe now because like in twenty twenty, like you hear like these women they go to entertain the sultan and they end up in this prostitution ring. Were you? Were you? Did you? Oh, you're probably young. You didn't care. You're like, yeah, nothing's gonna happen. Yeah, I was like twenty two, and I just thought I want to see the world. So this is exciting. So I made two hundred and fifty dollars a week to go and live in Morocco for two months. We did one show a night, and our first show was so horrible, Steve, that some guy came out. After the show was over, he said, this is the worst show I've ever seen. And he just stormed out. <laughs> now, now, where did they put you up? Did you stay in the Hyatt? Or? Yep, the Hyatt Hotel. Did they feed you? Yep, all food, drinks, everything, laundry paid for. So that, was, that was probably a great experience. It was a great experience. I made no money, but I did meet the crown prince of Saudi Arabia's son, who took us out to dinners and horseback riding on the beach and big parties and these people have so much money one time we went shopping and he handed me a wad of cash and said can you hold this in your purse for me it was ten thousand dollars cash and to them that's nothing that's like us giving someone a five dollar bill i know and then at the and then his best friend had a crush on me and at the very last day we were exchanging information he goes can i have your address and your checking account number and i said my what and he goes your checking account number i said for what he said, so I can send you money. And I was like, no, thanks. But looking back, like, what an idiot. I know, because it, back then it wasn't a fraud. It wasn't like a, a Nigerian prince. This was actually a guy who probably just said, I think it was because it's, one, it's probably because you're performing. And, and, you know, it's like, they're probably like, yeah, we'll just send her money. See oh, that? You should have done it. I could have done that. God. Or at least bought a car. Exactly. Now, 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 now you also you sang in Dis- Tokyo Disneyland. Tokyo Disneyland, you, you Japan. Like the, it's like the weird. It's like it's like. Did you go from Morocco to Disneyland? That was my next gig. Yes. Now, did you dress like Snow White or something, or how did this? No, it was a '50s style show. I was a singer dancer, and then the second half of my contract, I sang in the Tomorrowland band, which comes out of the ground. Okay. Remember that at Disneyland? A little bit. I've, I've been there for a while. Yeah, and I sang just cover tunes, rock and roll, pop. Songs. So you were a good singer. You were. I mean, and you. I, but you I learned, was really good back then. And you learned very late, which is cool. So you picked it up. At, you know, you'd have to start singing obsessed. when you're a kid. Okay. I was obsessed with learning. Yeah. Now, now the Shanana. Mm-hmm. Okay, because first of all, I've tweeted about Shanana Joe. People don't. Some people, if you don't know people, Shanana, they they were huge, especially back east, and, and they you were know, at Woodstock. And yeah, and then Bowser was the big Bowser. This guy Bowser would always have. He would always flex, and he'd have the big mouth. Bowser had the big mouth. Mm-hmm. So how did you end up with Shanana? Um, I answered an ad in the Drama Log. Do you remember that paper? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. exist anymore. And it said uh, it was a little tiny ad. It said uh, world-renowned fifties band looking for a female singer. Uh, submit your picture and resume. So I sent my resume. He called me. He was like, "Yes, it's Shanana." I had no idea who they were, but I was like, "Yeah." You don't know who Shanana was? Not no, not then. I was like, I don't know. I was like twenty four years old. So who called you? Was it like did their manager? It was Scott Simon, the piano player. Okay, the original member of the band. And so I went, I showed up in an audition, and every girl at the audition sang 60s music except for me because I just come off a 50s show in Tokyo. So I understand the difference between the 50s and the 60s. They were singing like, what you want, Aretha Franklin, and I was singing Connie Francis. Right. And that's why I got the gig. And so you toured for what, four years? Four years. Okay, so now did you travel worldwide or US wide or all over the world. We did USO tours, we did corporate events, we did fairs, we did TV shows. It was the time of my life. Now what was it like? I mean when I did stand up I for from eighty eight to ninety five, I was on the road a lot and 
it, it was it was it got sort of boring i mean you're on this but for a woman on the road because there's so many creeps out there especially if you're singing i mean it's like female comics go through it all the time too you know like you know not as much now but back in a day like you know there's always like the one first of all you know someone in the band or the comic another comic wants to hit on her or an audience member you know thinks oh well you know because they're a musician you know because you know everyone knows guy musicians and guy comics are sluts they probably think girls they probably think oh you know did you get harassed a lot or never it was like having nine fathers okay with me because they were very protective and uh, you know obviously i always had my own room and it was just very respectful Although my first gig on stage was at the Dunes Hotel, which doesn't exist anymore in Vegas. I get on stage. I start to sing to do run run. And there was a woman in the front row who had her arms crossed, shaking her head no at me the entire time. Like, no. And then she was waving her hand like, get off stage. And later I found out she's their biggest fan. And she doesn't like any new person who joins the group. Especially a female. Yeah. So for a year she wouldn't look at me. And then she finally accepted me. (laughs) I was like. Now I, I gotta ask you if, if I don't know if, you, if you're allowed to tell me this or not, but uh, you work from ages ago. When they walk around, do they always wear the hair like that, or do they like look normal off stage? Like, normal. Okay, they so like they, they, they don't they, wear gold lame. Okay, they don't to wear the the, 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 the duck the hair. I just no. wondering because like Bowser, <laughs> I'm wondering if Bowser's always walking around with no sleeves on and the ducktail. And actually, Bowser had left the group by the time I joined. They had five original members. Okay, so he went off and did his own thing. So you're doing the singing. You're traveling the world. <laughs> You're not, I mean, you basically, I mean, you probably, probably still live out here, but you're really never home, I'm guessing. Exactly. So you're doing this. Now, how do you parlay into doing comedy? Because you sang, you started comedy in what, 95? Mm, something like that, yeah. So when did you stop like singing with, with the, oh, Okay, well, I was dating a guy who was an agent. Okay. And I said, you know, I really want to do TV. I want to be on a sitcom. And he said, then do stand-up comedy. It'll be your fastest way to get seen. And so I really just started stand-up comedy so I could get on TV, and then all of a sudden I fell in love with it. Now, what was, I mean, I'm trying to think, because, you know, now, like, I knew the scene when I started. I started in, as I said, 87 or 88, and it was in Philly. And um, the scene was very different. And you started in 95. What was the scene like in L.A.? Were you living in L.A. now? I was living in L.A. I started in L.A. There were like three girls doing it. I mean, not very many women. Right, because I remember back in Philly, we had, it was uh, Mary Ellen Hooper, Girl named Mary Frances Connolly, Wendy Levine, who then got out of it, Debbie Bretz, and one crazy lady named Phyllis Vaughn, who I know is still doing it. But there was like that was it, and and no one really, and Chris Rich. But that was that was it. There wasn't a lot of females back there. Right. Yeah. So um, I got uh, noticed right away. I got booked on the Montreal Comedy Festival, and I had this holding deal with TriStar Television. I got managers, agents, voiceover agents, and and my career kind of took off. I never got a TV show but I ended up like really loving stand up as an art form and like not really caring about being on TV anymore well how long did it take you to start getting the juice I'm like you know like the Montreal how long were you two doing two years it? okay now when you attacked comedy you were you didn't really you, as I said when you went into it you were doing it as a vehicle to get TV mm-hmm. and you have a singer background so right there you, you already have the stage presence taken care of because mm-hmm. if you were if you were a good singer with crappy stage presence you wouldn't be getting work so you right. have that so how do you sit there as someone who doesn't really have a interest at the time in comedy how did you sit there and start formulating your act I started out with an original song that I wrote a funny song I would open with a song called rejected again okay and it's about musical theater auditions and how I can't get a job and it was a really funny song and so that would open my act and then people kind of knew where I came from that my point of view is I'm this musical theater girl who's trying to you know get on TV that was my whole act and so, okay, so, so it was a, you were a singing act more in the beginning. Yes, in okay, the beginning, Okay, now, yes. uh, you don't sing anymore. Not in my act, Okay, no. so, I mean, but do you sing actually anymore? Like, do you ever... I do karaoke. What's your favorite song to do karaoke? <laughs> Magic Man by Heart. Okay, I like Heart. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's so funny. Here's a little known fact that people, uh, you know the movie uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Uh-huh. Well, Cameron Crowe uh-huh. wrote it and directed it, who's married to the blonde, is that Nancy Wilson from Heart? Oh, okay. And there's a scene where... Judd Reinhold is driving in his car and he's got that pirate's outfit on mm-hmm. and there's a blonde looking at him. That's the woman from Heart and she was in the movie because of Cameron Crowe was married to her. Really? Little known fact. That's a good piece of trivia. It's not I'll worth have, anything I'll but it's a good trivia. i have to watch for that. So, so you're doing the stand-up now. Now I know we'll, we'll get back to your stand-up but now reading about you you, you did, started getting a lot of commercials 
Yes. Now, now was that in midst of stand-up or was that in the very beginning or how did that work? In the midst of stand-up because I think, you know, when you're showcasing on stage in L.A., there's always casting and producers and agents in the audience and uh, they love the stand-up credit on the resume and it just, I think it gives you an edge over any other woman in the room because if you can go out on stage in front of a bunch of strangers and make them laugh on your own with your own material, walking in to a commercial audition is easy breezy. Now, it was easy because of stand-up because of your background from doing the auditions because you had to audition for the music. I mean, it how was, was it? easy because of the stand-up. Now, how many times did you audition before you actually nailed a commercial? My first national commercial was for Purina One Brand, and it was actually with Melora Hardin, who played Michael Scott's girlfriend on The Office. Okay. And... Uh, I made over $100,000 on that job. This doesn't happen anymore. I heard, because what year was this? This was probably 97. And back then I heard the commercials you would make banks. So, oh, yeah. So it was what, one day shoot, two day shoot? One day shoot. And so it just kept playing and playing? Yeah. And so you're just getting residual. Checks, residual. Checks in the and, mail. So that's that was your first national. Now, what other nationals have you done? Um, I've done McDonald's. I've done Sprint. I've done... Uh, God, I can't remember because it was a long time ago. But I've probably done about 15. Okay, now, did you get to go to any interesting places? Or was it all this local? All of them shot in L.A. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Um, but voiceover-wise, I worked a lot more than I have uh, commercially on camera. Now, how did the voiceovers come about? Did someone say you have a good voice? Or I mean, did you have an agent or a manager who said, we want you to do this? Or how did that come I up? said, I really want to do voiceovers. I have a singing background. I do characters. I'm stand-up. That's the best background I have for voiceover. So an agent saw me, per- an agent from ICM, the head of ICM, saw me performing in stand-up and called me in. I auditioned, and then I never stopped working. Now, what were some of your voiceovers you did? I mean, were you doing characters? Were you doing just your voice? Commercials. Or what? Commercials. Okay. And like that's what? where the money is. I did Vaughn's Safeway store campaign for four years. Okay. And so I would be the girl that goes, Vaughn's Ingredients for Life. So that's basically, it pays great. And, yeah. And you probably, how long are you in the studio doing that? Probably. I'm in there for an hour, and then you leave, and then you just, again, collect checks in the mail. It's only one line. Uh, well, no. It was like today's grapes are on sale for two ninety nine a pound. Okay. Yeah. So you're that person. Uh, yeah, oh, I've done cool. a lot of those. I've done like uh, the UPS store. I've done Mattel, and I've done you know like like just one line, one tagline at the end of the commercial that you that you hear. I've done a lot of those. Like I was the voice of Blue Bunny ice cream. You probably never heard of Blue Bunny, but I'd be like, you know, so good. It speaks for itself. So now when you were booking a lot of these, did they, was your name known in the business where you, it was like you would, they would audition you or they just say, hey, we want the lady from Vons or I mean, how did that work? No, you always have to audition. Okay. And I still audition. Uh, I probably auditioned for 20 to 30 things a month and haven't booked a job in six months. Really? Yes. Now, have you ever that, heard, the business has changed tremendously? I've heard that. Also, I've heard for the acting part too, where it's like you know now they send the tape and stuff like that. Now, have you uh, ever thought about doing um, like character voices for TV shows for, for J- cartoons? Yes, um, that's like a market. That's such a niche market. There's like five girls that do all the Tara Strong and E.G. Daily. There's like just a few select girls that do a lot of those cartoons. Okay. And so it's really hard to break into. So as you're doing all this stuff, are you, because you're making, I mean, you're making the good money doing the voiceovers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Are you still really concentrating on stand-up or are you, are you getting pulled away from stand-up because you're auditioning and stuff like that? Always concentrating on stand-up. Just loving it. Because I thing I love about stand-up is it's, you don't have to sit around and wait for your agent to call you or the phone to ring. You can get on stage any night of the week. You can sit down and write your jokes anytime you want. It's very proactive, empowering art form because you take control of your career and i i would be i was like eat breathe sleep comedy i just loved it i just you know what i love is that i'm bipolar and so i sometimes have little crazy thoughts and and ideas but when you write a joke and then you actually go on stage and try it in front of a live audience and they laugh they validate your original thought that this is funny so you you get constant validation 
about your work. That's another thing about I just wrote a pilot and I took a lot of jokes from my act and put them in the pilot. Okay. Now the jokes from my act, I know they work. I've been doing them for 15 years. So now they're in this pilot. I, it doesn't matter who I hand it to. No one can tell me, oh, that joke doesn't work. I've already tried it. Yes, it does. So it, give, it gives you more confidence, I think, in your writing abilities. Now, what's your writing process? When you sit there, I mean, for me, I mean, if I write, and as I said, you know, I really don't do stand-up anymore. I joke around. And when I do do it, I host this Jimmy's, my friend Jimmy's bar, a crappy comedy. It's no one, it's usually like five acts. There's no one in the audience. And now I don't even do my act. I do stories. And I, I mean, and I used to, my act, I mean, I have confidence in my act because I know it works because I right. did it for years. Right. But for me, I just, I get tired of it. And I'm like, yeah, it's stupid. And I always forget it because I don't pay attention to it. So I've changed. And I'm, you know, if I go back to stand up again, I will do the stories. But that's just how my, I, grown how do what's your writing process now and do you stick to the same way are you doing the same kind of material after I'm, you got done the music are you still doing the same kind of material you did 10 years ago or? i am doing some of the same jokes i wrote 20 years ago okay and i rarely write new material for myself anymore because i don't do stand up that much anymore and now i'm a producer and a teacher and i write a ton of jokes for my students so i'm constantly writing for them and I just don't have the energy to write for myself. But don't you miss it? Because I mean, it seemed like it was such a big part of you. you just, I mean, I know you're teaching it. We're going to talk about that. But I mean, don't you miss that? I mean, I'm sure you host when you do your classes mm-hmm. and you go up and direct. But don't you sort of miss that sometimes? Like for me, when I wasn't doing stand-up, when I got out of it, I would never go see a stand-up show. Because one, probably half, funnier than half the people on the bill. Mm-hmm. And two... It just, it, it bored me. I mean, doesn't, isn't, I mean, for you, don't, do you miss it? I mean, why don't you, why aren't you getting up every night anymore? Just because you're uh, too busy? Because the open mic process, as you know, is like an eight hour wait. You have to sit through a bunch of crappy comics before it's your turn to get up. And by the time you get up, there's three people in the audience. They're all in their notebooks, you know, self-obsessed, not paying attention to you. Right. Um, I'll do people's shows when they ask me to do them and I always perform on my own shows that I produce but I like to control the environment I perform in Okay. and I I work strictly with women and I find it to be a lot more fun and so I want it to be fun I want to ask you because we're going to talk about your comedy right now and then your class and then we'll get back I want to talk about your writing when you wrote for Chelsea and stuff like that mm-hmm. but your class okay now how your class has been running for how long? Uh, eight years okay so it's uh, very funny women Pretty funny one. Pretty funny one. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you decide, okay, here's what I want to do. You were doing stand-up. You know, you, you were booking the commercials. You, you know, have a good career going. And teaching sometimes, I mean, for me, my problem would be is you want to teach, but well, let's, let's be honest. Out of 10 people that show up to take, you know, they want to do comedy, especially in L.A., maybe three are funny. I mean, for me, I think when I go to open mics and stuff like that, do you find it, ch- I mean, do you want, someone comes in, do you set, you don't tell them straight up that, you know, you're going to go up and kill. You just help them to assimilate into the comedy scene or how do you, how do you go about teaching? Um, first of all, I, I try to identify their unique point of view okay. right off the bat. And I, I get very personal in my class, which is another reason why I like only women, because it's a safe environment for women to feel like they can open up and share their most deepest, darkest secrets. And then I also say that if you're talking about yourself, no one else can steal that material and it hasn't already been done before. So I try to stay away from teaching observational comedy, jokes about Facebook, etc. Because, you know, Ellen DeGeneres has probably already done it. Right. So uh, I identify their point of view and I just bring out their truth of their life. And the truth, as you know, is always the funniest. And so everybody, everybody has something funny to share about themselves. You know, I mean, I've had girls that come in and they don't instinctively have like a comedic sense of timing but I've never had anyone come through who has not had a killer showcase at the end okay. of my I've never had anyone bomb except for one girl because she showed up and decided to do all new material that night okay <laughs> that's, that's perfect you know you're, you're crafting this stuff and, oh, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a new new seven new ten <laughs> so what made you decide to start teaching were you just was it something that you well here's what happened I created Pretty Funny Women in 1996 after a guy said to me you're too pretty to be funny and I said to myself wow that's weird I have a lot of girls that are my friends that are funny comedians why don't I just put together a show and call it Pretty Funny Women 
and we put it together as an industry showcase and the place sold out and everybody got meetings and agents and everything out of it. Now, who were some of those friends? Um, Stephanie Wilder-Taylor, who's got her own show on Nick Mom right now. Okay. Um, Kim Tavares, who's a writer. The, you mean the original six Pretty Funny Women? Yeah, who, I mean, when you started out, it was probably like your group. Do you remember? It was like, you guys probably... The first show... Of girls, uh, Heather McDonald, okay. who's a writer for Chelsea Lately and a regular on the round table. Uh, so it started out as that, and then it started growing as a very popular industry showcase for women. So that's when I had um, Chelsea Handler, I had Natasha Legero, Tig Nataro, Vicky Barbalak, Sean Polofsky, Stephanie Wilder-Taylor on one bill. That's Can funny. you imagine? Vicky Barbalak, what's funny, I, when I lived in San Diego... And I I don't really fool around with comedy then. There used to be a dive called Fibber McGee's. It was in uh, Pacific Beach. Vicky would do stand-up there. Bobby Lee would do stand-up there. Dante would do stand-up there. Uh, Gary Owen. It was just funny. It was such a diverse crowd. Uh, Ramos, uh, Francisco Ramos. And it was just, everyone was just sort of starting out. It was just such a great, like, it was just a crappy bar. But we all went and everyone just supported each other. It was very cool. Yeah. So you're doing that. So you, you come up with a show. And I, now it's you're, a show. It's just a showcase for women. It was we, at the Hollywood Improv. Okay. It was once a month. And it was like the hottest showcase in town where everybody got seen from it. Okay. Retta was a regular on my show. And you know who Retta yeah. is from Parks and Rec. Um, uh, most of the, a lot, Maria Bamford, a lot of the girls that are pretty well known right now have come through my show at one point or the other. Now, did you feel any... Uh, not, I'm trying to think of the word, not resistance, but how did guy comics, would they bitch about it? Because, I mean, you know how guys, people can be so catty. Mm-hmm. They go, oh, what's this crap? You know, it's all yeah. female. I mean, did they all do the that? Or? All the time. They still do. Yeah. Like, and I, I, I'm just like, okay, well, go to your open mics. That's where you'll be for the rest of your career. Well, it's funny because I remember back in the late 80s or early 90s, Jenny Jones would do a show. And I remember she played the Comedy Factory Outlet, which... We all, in Philly, if you were a comic, you worked either the door there or the comedy works just to get stage time. And us staff members were the only guys, because it was called Women's Night Out, and it was only, Jenny Jones would only play to an all-female audience. And it was just, it was, you know, and we didn't care. We were at school, we were just felt, like, it was weird, because we were like, well, can we work this night? You know, because we just were taking the door things. But it was just, there was, a, there was like, some of the other male acts who, Exactly, or open mics were like that's bull crap. I can do that, and it's like, well, if that's what she wants to do. You know, yeah. why complain? It you can't, you know, do, complain male, about it. Male comics don't necessarily love my show, but male audience members do because I uh, ask every girl to wear a dress. Now, how did you come up? Because we, I talked about that. How did you sit there? Because, and, and I think we had talked about this. How like the 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 comedy right now, people just don't give a crap when they dress like me tonight I'm doing my friend's bar I'll wear this because it's a bar it's 90 degrees out but if mm-hmm. I go to a club mm-hmm. I always wear I dress nice and I think now people just as I said everyone forgets it's show business you know it's still a show mm-hmm. and there's business mm-hmm. now for you when you were a comic yourself did you always wear a dress always dressed up okay yeah because I come from a show showgirl background where you got really dressed up and you did your hair and your makeup and you wore heels and character shoes and dresses and so I feel like you should be the best dressed person in the room. These people are coming in. They're paying like 10 bucks to get in. They're hiring babysitters, buying two drinks, parking. Why wouldn't you want to look your best, especially in L.A. because you're always showcasing for industry here. So, And plus the brand is called Pretty, comma, Funny Women. So everybody should look pretty, I think, right? So the girls show up, and sometimes they really go for it, which I love. I'm the Heidi Fleiss of comedy. I'm like the madam. Okay. You know, I love my... Just don't end up you, like her. Don't, like, live in the high <laughs> desert. Have you seen I don't her? have birds. She, yeah, is that crazy? It's <laughs> yeah. like she goes from prostitutes to birds. And it's like, it's like you look at her and you go... And it's funny because when you look at her, she was... I mean, she ran a glamour... I mean, she was a brilliant businesswoman. Yes. Don't get me wrong. But yes. she was like... She ran this glamorous you know this glamorous lifestyle she had this glamorous lifestyle and now she's like just a meth head living in the desert with birds and you go wait a second I would think if I lived this glamorous life I would want to get it back yeah I know but you're the Heidi Fleiss of comedy I'm the Heidi Fleiss of comedy I love beautiful women I love girly girls I love uh, the the night is like a celebration of women where it's probably the only platform where women can dress up show their boobs 
wear heels and do comedy. Okay, now here's a question. As as a comic, and you know, do you, I mean, first of all, I would think, unless you were standing still, com- high heels on the stage would suck because, and you know how the stage is, sometimes you can't see the end. At least if you lose your footing with sneakers you're, or shoes, you're right. It, it must be, I would think as a, for, uh, a, especially a newer comic, it must be a little intimidating or is it do you think or is it just you're so used people are used to wearing heels i mean think about it as a comic i mean you you know if you're walking on stage with heels it must be hard and these stages it's not like they use the best material to make these stages right, especially if you do physical comedy it can right. be a little challenging but girls sometimes wear tights with a flowy dress over it and flats if they have a physical comedy act or basically what i I originally started by saying, can you dress up? Can you look pretty? And every girl would wear jeans and a cute shirt. I was like, this is not what I envision for the brand. You know, I envision like sexy. And so I, it, when something about putting on a dress, a woman, it elevates the level of professionalism and th- their acts. I don't know. Something about it is heightened. And, uh, and I think they feel better okay. in their own skin and therefore deliver and it must it must be a great feeling if you really kill it and you're dressed to the tees. Because I know when I mean I used to I remember I used to wear like a tie and a jacket. I remember and I I would when I started I'd work a little dirtier, you know. And people were like, God oh, man, we thought you're like some young yuppie. And there's stuff coming out of your mouth. And I was like, that's cool because I went up on stage and I was harmless because I wear like a you know the tweed jacket and a tie and it was like the late 80s so it was like that was the look and I had the long hair and I was harmless And but when you had a great set there was something about coming off dressed nice it, it did it it makes you feel like you're in show business it makes you feel like wow I just you're a up. pro yeah and that's that's the thing and that's very important that you do that now you were running these shows though you said with the women when did you transit transit to uh, doing I, the classes I transitioned in okay so I was doing the bond Safeway campaign and I was making uh, probably more money than I've ever made in my entire life and I was like this is not that rewarding like how can I help girls more I was writing for a lot of other girls on the side and I was loving that and so I just decided let me just teach a little class let me see if I can teach I put it on Craigslist and I had five girls show up and that's how it started. And then I ended up loving it. It's probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my career to this day. Now, when you posted it, did you have an idea? Did you, I mean, you're going in blind to teaching the class. Mm-hmm. So did you sit there and before, you said you wanted to do it. Did you sit there before and actually put a plan out? Did you sit there and go, okay, here's my objectives. I mean, how did you end up coming up with, because I mean, it's obvious it's work because it's been going on forever and you get bigger classes. But how did you sit there and come up with how you're going to teach? Because one, you're new in teaching. I mean, you know the business mm-hmm. and you've had success. Mm-hmm. But when you did you sit there and go, okay, how, I mean, how, how did you find out how long it would first one be? Would you say, okay, because I know now it's three hours and it's eight weeks? Yes. Okay. So when you started out, did you sit there and go, I mean, for me, it would be a very intimidating task to sit there and go, okay, I got to teach people three hours for eight weeks. I mean, how, what, what did you figure out that your plan was going to be? It was you- three hours for six weeks initially, okay. and there was no showcase after. It was just a class, and then it ended. Now, how did you figure out what you would teach? and what, How did you, you know? God, I don't remember that. I think I just, I, I just came up with writing prompts that helped me write jokes, you know? What are you, tell me things about you nobody knows. Um, what are your deepest, darkest fears? Uh you know, those those writing prompts, things that give me anxiety okay. are things I, I tend to write about. Things I'm very passionate, things that really piss me off, my pet peeves. These are all exercises I give the women. So you've you pretty them. much kept the same formula since yep. the beginning. It now, works, yeah. I was thinking, it's so funny though, because you go in and let's say your normal class size now is what? Uh, 12. Okay, so you have 12 women mm-hmm. in a room. Mm-hmm. Now, where do you meet? I have a studio in the back of my house. Okay. It's a, I've converted it into a stage and a curtain and a microphone and everything. Oh man, we could have been doing bits after the after your uh, after writing the other day. I, I, know. We, I could have I could have taped my special. I there. should have shown it to you. <laughs> so so you, okay, so you have that, and so they're coming to your house, and and you have a good reputation, and they see your website, which is great, and the website is prettywomen.com. Pretty, pretty funny women dot com. Sorry, <laughs> I, I'm just I'm you know I talk so much in this the pretty pretty funny dot com, and but so. They know you're legit. Okay, they see your thing. They hear you're doing it. Now, when they go in, 
how how long does it take you to ha- sit them and have them tell you these dark secrets and they do it in like a round thing because I like in a, ra- a group like did they say that because I would think it'd be pretty damn intimidating you're walking in the first night and all of a sudden someone says hey like me hey Steve uh, what are your fears and I'd be like I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know these people it's like I mean how do you how do you break them into doing that because they must have a lot of trust in you because you're not going to open up your fears if you don't trust someone how do you uh, get that level of trust yeah, well with them? that's not my first night right that's, okay the first night is we just get up on stage one at a time introduce ourselves tell me about what you do for a living tell me complete this phrase what the most interesting thing about me is blank okay and so then we kind of get to know each other first and then i make them tell a funny story on stage a two-minute story of the worst date they've ever been on or something humiliating that happened to them in the last five years. Now, are they? this is all blindside. They're not prepared for that. They don't, they don't know. Okay. Nope. So it's, I mean, it's, it must be, I guess, so right then you sort of, have you ever people who were afraid to do it? Like when they, you say, hey, tell me your uh, worst date. Is there any people who are like, uh, you know, because you always get that sometimes or does that never happen? Never. Really? Nope. See, that's cool. Because somebody always goes first and then, you know, they bite the bullet and then everybody goes, oh, this is fun, you know? And I can't tell you how many poop stories I've heard. Really? Yeah. Poop stories. (laughs) That's usually the number one most embarrassing story is a girl who's pooped herself in an airport or on an airplane or at a guy's house. One of my students just shared a story that this was hysterical, that she went over to a guy's house for a date. It was going really well. He was hot. She was excited. She had to go use his bathroom and she had to take a dump and the toilet overflowed. You know what? That's that's so funny. When I that that is a fear for anyone because I know like for me now it's fine. I've been with Joanne for a while, but I remember when uh when I first started dating her, it was uh, and we went to college each other, but we we didn't talk to each other for years. We just luckily how we got together. But I remember I went to her house. Because I would stay there. Because, you know, she came out here and I'd visit. And I said, okay, you know, and then we hit it off. So I would fly back and forth. And I remember that one of the first times I went to her house, you know, she would be at work during the day and I'd be just writing or doing whatever. And I went to the bathroom and the toilet got clogged. <laughs> and I'm sitting there. And, and first of all, I don't know where her plunger is. And she's like, she's no, she understands. She's like a neat freak. So I know, if, you know, I mean, I had a problem. She had a, she had a closet door that I would open. It would always get off the thing. So I, I was like, I can't use that because it would freak me out because this closet I could never go back. And I I don't know where I think I I was worried. And I finally found it. Like, you know, and I'm sitting there going and then I I plunge it and it works. I don't ever tell her. I think I told her like like I don't think it's the first time there. But then I wipe it off because I don't want it to be all wet. But thank God she put her stuff in like a plastic bag. It's cause I used to just have the the plunger. I mean I'm a guy, I had the plunger like under the toilet in the back, yeah. you know. And it and it's true that's a very scary thing, especially if you're there and the guy's there. I mean, how do you go out to explain to him, oh my God, I just uh and first of all, you're probably thinking, this girl's taking a big-ass dump. You know what I mean? I mean, you're sitting there going, this is nuts. It's not even that. She said the toilet overflowed, and, oh. the, and the water started coming through the door. Oh, then, yeah, then you have not, you're screwed. And she was like, um, and he was like, is everything okay in there? She said, uh, no, no. And she said he had to come in and help her clean it up. Oh, God. And you're, and it's so, but what's good about that, you're right. What's funny is that does break the, the ice, because... Everyone else is going, hey, man, our story can't be as bad as that. Exactly. But see, that's cool. So they, they sit there. And so and as you said, you told me when we first met that a lot of them don't want to do stand-up. They just want to get ease. Uh, not, I mean, a majority of them, not well, a few of them, don't want to do stand-up. They just they want to learn how to I would speak. Say, yeah, I would say most of the women that take my class do not want to be full-time stand-up comics. Okay. It's just something they've always wanted to try because maybe someone told them, told them they're funny their whole lives and... They just thought, you know, it's my biggest fear. A lot of them, it's their biggest fear, and that's why they want to try it, because they okay. want to overcome that fear. Or it's a bucket list item. Sometimes it's a mom who needs to get out of the house. Or a lot of times it's, I've created a community of women where you can make new friends, and oftentimes girls become lifelong friends from taking my class together. Now, from your class, I mean, you said you've been teaching for eight years? Mm-hmm. Okay, um... Do you keep up with the people? Do you, I mean, do you, cause there's, you, there's probably so many 
people you meet, do you try to keep in touch with them or do you lose touch with them or do you make a conscious effort to see how they're doing? I have a mailing list of 500 okay. alumni and I, I'll send out like, you know, audition. I'll, oftentimes I'll get calls from casting people and going, you know, we came to you because you're the person that the Heidi Fleiss of yeah comedy. you know about pretty girls who are funny can you send us so I'll send send out auditions or I'll send out you know come to the show tonight watch your your fellow alumni graduate or so I keep in touch with them through mail and Facebook but in person uh, I've I have about 10 girls that I'm pretty close to and I feel like they're my daughters now now you said you uh you help them, right? So you, so when let's say, okay, we'll go back to your class. Which, by the way, here's an idea for a. Uh, after you got my mind going, here's an idea for a sitcom you should write. Okay. You hear it? okay. Okay. You're a woman who has a comedy class mm-hmm. called well, we have to change the name because you don't call it Pretty Funny Women. Okay. Mm-hmm. Same. So you have a comedy class, and you get all these beautiful girls, and they do dresses. But the comedy class is a front for a prostitution ring, <laughs> and then you are the Heidi Fleiss of comedy. So you not only you do shows, but you get you know two drink minimum a whole different meaning. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's an idea for a show. I think my neighbors think I run a prostitution That's- ring. <laughs> Because when girls are parking their cars outside my street, there's always these hot girls coming in. That's funny. And Jimmy Van Patten, uh, Dick Van Patten's son, lives on the corner. And he's always coming out and going, oh, more girls coming into your house. Which which one's Jimmy? Jimmy's He's the youngest. Yeah. Okay, he was in Eight is Enough for a little bit, I think. Okay, yeah. Uh, I don't know if he was in Eight is Enough. Because the other one, Van Patten, is a huge director now. Timothy Van Patten directs for uh, The Sopranos, and he directs for uh, Boardwalk Empire. He's like... Big. He played Salami on The White Shadow. That oh. one. Timothy. See, I know my Van You know a lot. I, I, it's disgusting. I can't remember last week, but I, I know so much about unwanted crap. It's great. So, okay, so the second, now when, but when you, what, do you tell them, do they come in class dressed up in dresses? No, or okay. no, no, just the showcase. Now, they sit there, so they, they, you go in and then, you know, they tell the story and it's, of course, that's a trust breaker. When do you sit there and say, okay, do you give them homework and say you have homework. to work on your act? Do you homework. say, okay, write some jokes? Like we, you know, when we came back, we just, well, for us, we were just throwing ideas out. But for them, do you say write some bits or how do you get them started on that? Their first homework assignment yeah. is to start paying attention to every time they say something funny and somebody laughs at it. Because essentially what I say is, you know, most comics don't know when they're writing jokes because they're just being funny all day long. And if you had a tape recorder and followed right. yourself around, you'd have an act. So I make them start to pay attention, and that should be like a Pavlov dog thing, you know, like laugh. Oh, write down, write it down, write it down. So I, I say, you just wrote a joke. I want you to bring it in and share it with me next week. And open mics. Open mics every week. So you make them do up mics? Make them, okay. yeah. But now- I, I, I can't make them because they're terrified. But... I tell them that comedy is like horseback riding. You can't learn by watching. You got to be on the stage. You got to be on the horse. We had talked about it too. I mean, I mean, I'm still an advocate of. I, I mean, I always see, especially on Facebook, you know, because you end up being come from so many comics you don't even know because they recommend, you know, whatever. But a lot of people always say, you know, the grind. That's the big word now. The grind. The grind. But it's like for me, I don't. And this is just my. I want to see what your uh, opinion on this is. I don't think it's. Going to three, well, not in the very beginning, you have to go on stage, but if, if you've been doing it for a while, going to three rooms that are just awful, I don't think you gain anything from that. I don't know what you think about oh, that. Oh, I do. Do you? You think you Absolutely. Because I think a lot of times you divert from your act because you're not getting a laugh and it doesn't throw your timing. I mean, if you go to like, there's a place called Big Fish in Glendale, the worst room in the country, which isn't Betty's Fireside, which I played in New Jersey is the worst, but at least there they paid you 150 bucks to sit there for 15 minutes and get screamed at. Mm-hmm. But I, just, I don't know. I, so I, don't think it's, I don't think it's helpful when you're sitting there and no one's listening. I think it's, you could get the same reaction going to home and practicing in front of your mirror and you don't we won't feel the rejection no because you need to be you need to feel what it feels like to be on an unfamiliar stage with a weird microphone that might have feedback and the lights are bright and in your face 
I don't want their first time on stage in front of an audience to be the showcase. Okay. They need to have been on stages before and dealt with all the crap that happens in the live setting. You know, the waitress dropping her drinks or the blender going off at the coffee house or people getting up and walking out. And they learn how to to not be thrown off by this stuff okay. by the time they get to their show. No, okay, I, I agree with that. But I just think sometimes people do like three or four bad nights in a, bad rooms in a night. And I think that's just... To me, it's self-defeating. I just, but I guess I've been, I've done the business. I've been in the business right, for a long time. You've been doing where it. I can for go long, in anywhere. You've and never I, done it. Yeah, you're right. You I would guess, need to try it. I guess my point is more of I just laugh at people have been doing it for like five or six years, and they sit there and they brag about how they're doing crap holes, and I'm like, well, why don't you spend that time at the comedy store? You know what I mean? So, so you're, the girls they go through your class, and you got them. And so, when do they sit there and really start formulating their act? I would say week six. Okay, so week six, so they, they have it, and they're getting up, and they're doing it in front of each other. Mm-hmm. And and it's probably, the difference is, they're probably all very, as you said, very supportive, so it's not like going in front of an open mic where there's a bunch of young comics who are idiots. So this, they're all supportive, so it's almost like a sisterhood. It is, it's a sorority, okay, comedy sorority. Which is cool, and so they do that, and then they sit there and they get it, and then when they get off, I'm sure you're taking notes, mm-hmm. and you say, okay, do you tell them to change this and this? Oh yeah, I punch but, up jokes for them all the time. Now what if someone sits there and you say you should change this, but they don't want to? Do you push them to change it, or do you let them feel what they're gonna do, and if they don't listen to you, they can see how it doesn't work oh yeah I have to let them it's their process so I let them do whatever I'm not going to ever tell somebody what they should do on stage but I make suggestions and I give and I'm a I've been doing this 25 years I'm a really good joke writer so if I give them a punchline chances are it's going to work so now it's the big night it's the final Mm -hmm. okay you you go to graduation showcase you usually go to flappers right yep okay so you go to flappers you have this and you have 12 Acts. How much time did they get? Five minutes. Okay, so do five minutes. Now you go up up front and you probably do I, ten. Or, I don't host. Oh, I you have, don't host. Okay. I have a, another girl host, and then I come up at the end and headline. Okay, so but your host is a act who's taken your class yes, before. Exactly. Okay, so they host. So you know, mm-hmm. and everyone, a lot of people know as a hosting. You know, especially in a showcase night. You know, some people aren't going to do well. It just may not be their night. So the host really has to keep it going. Mm-hmm. Now, have you ever had a night where? Especially if someone you thought was really funny and the crowd just didn't react, and how do if they have a bad set because it's all going to happen to us? How do you console? Do you console them or what do you do when a student? Because they're probably because you said it's like a sorority, so you're like the you're like the sorority mom, you're like the yeah. president, and they want to they want to impress you, I'm sure, because you're you're giving your time and you're giving your trust and you're creating them. Have you ever had something where someone's just devastated because they didn't do well, and how do you deal with that? Because it must be hard for you because. It's like, you know, because you feel for all these people. I know. I have had a couple of girls that I think are hysterical that the audience just didn't get. And sometimes it's my fault. It's where I put them in the lineup, maybe. Maybe I had them follow somebody that was just that, you know, okay. destroyed the room. And, uh, but for the most part, I just say, you know what? Um, you got to keep going. You got to, this is part of the process, right? I mean, having a bad set is part of the process of being a comic. Yeah, but for the first time, it must be like, just, it's, it must be, I mean, for you to watch it too, you must feel bad. Because you know, especially if you know they're funny, you must, I mean, for me, if I taught a class and I knew someone was funny, they, they had a bad set, I want to go and hit everyone in the audience. Like, what don't you guys get? Mm-hmm. They're funny. Yeah. I've never had a girl bomb. Okay. Good. Uh, it, because you know, let's face it: the sh- the people in the room are the girls' friends and family and coworkers. No one's walking down the street at Flappers going, "Oh, there's a graduation showcase. Right. Let me go see who these girls are." You know, so it's everybody. We invite the audience, so it's a super supportive, loving, happy crowd. They're excited to see people do this for the first time. They can't. They don't think it's going to be good, so their That's expectations so- are low. And all of a sudden, out come these hot girls in dresses and heels who actually have a five-minute act with jokes. Right. And they're impressed. Now, you said you wrote for a lot of uh, you write for a lot of your acts, and you help them punch stuff up. Now, we talked about your pilot. How did you decide to sit there, and what made you say, okay, I'm going to write this pilot, and how did you get the idea that the pilot that you showed us the outline to and stuff My like that? My brother and I wrote a song called Complex 
about 10 years ago and it's about this girl who can't move forward in her life and she says you know um you know what happened to the picket fence and the cars why am i still spending friday night in all the bars i'm not a loser i know i deserve more the roller coaster ride is what i live for so the song inspired the pilot okay so it's based on these (coughs) this couple that live together but they can't get their shit together you know they're they're broke. Her mom owns the building. And I mean, I think it's the state of the world today. I think people can't afford to get married. They can't afford to have kids until later in life because it's hard right now. So I decided to write this pilot and I got a partner who was one of my students, by okay. the way, who every time she would get up on stage, she would t- talk about her and her boyfriend's relationship. And it made me laugh so hard. I pulled her aside and I said, I want to write complex about you and your boyfriend's relationship and so she said let's do it and we just finished this pilot now i know that is that your is this your first time you've uh developed the pilot yep okay but now but your background you wrote for chelsea uh-huh now how did that come about because you knew her from her, your class well, chelsea they, is chelsea never took my class no, no she, but she was one of the girls she so. was one of my pretty funny women who did my shows i had her do uh, every show, every month, I was such a huge fan of hers. I just thought this girl's going to be a star. You know what's funny? And I'll be honest, I, I never really saw her stand up at first, and uh, but I read her book, her one of her books. I read two of them, I think, and they were funny. I mean, I read them like laughing out, and you know, there's nothing worse than you know, you're sitting there somewhere and, and someone goes like, especially because she wasn't as big yet, and guys are, you know, how guys are, like, what's this guy laughing his ass off at a challenge you know and then i actually i one night i was flipping around and i saw her comedy central presents and there was a lot of stuff from the book and it was just funny mm-hmm. i mean i was just cracking up which is it was raw and it was just funny but that's what i loved about her books her books were they were just raw and and it wasn't like i don't know maybe because she's a jersey girl too Chelsea but- handler is to this day the funniest person i've ever met in my life she just made me laugh constantly. I love her sense of humor. She's silly. She's dry. She was always so fun to hang out with. Um, and then Tignataro, of course, was was really funny too. But yeah. Chelsea would be just spouting out funny stuff all day long, and I would kind of follow her around with a notebook. And I would just write down everything she said, and I'd go, "Here, try this on stage. It's hysterical." And she'd she'd be like, "Really?" But you wrote for the show too, right? I wrote for Girls Behaving Badly, which was on Oxygen, oh, which with, uh, she was on. Kira Sultanovich, yep. isn't it? Okay. I wrote for the Chelsea Handler show, which was her first show on E, and then I wrote for the first season of Chelsea Lately. Now, what was that like for you? Because from going to stand up, what was the transition like to be writing? Because it's it's a matter of it's. To, like I talk to comics who sit there, like Rich Scheidner, because I couldn't take it. I, 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 you know, I'm a guy for the stage. I couldn't take the, you know, the the room and all. How did you react to it? I loved it. Okay. I completely loved it. I, you get to use all your skills from stand up, and pitch. You know, you're constantly throwing out jokes in the room, and you're with a bunch of other funny people. It's a dream job. The problem is, is that at the time I was writing on Chelsea Lately, I got my Vaughn's voiceover campaign. I had a deal with Bina Murray for, f- to develop Pretty Funny Women as a reality show. And I had her full-time job. And it sent me into a major manic episode. Okay. And I couldn't handle the stress, so I had to leave the show. Well, that's a lot of stress. I mean, you think about it. I mean, you know, yeah. just the thing of and that's, reality wasn't huge then. And just, you know... But uh, but yeah, well, so, so that's good though. So now, now for now, what do you concentrate on? I mean, the pilot. But no, we got, we wrote the Yakov, which was that was a good process. I mean, yeah, I, that was fun. I, you know what's funny? I came in there, and I, I, how long were you guys writing before I got there? How like, uh, a couple months? Okay, so I, if it's like the old thing. You feel like the uh, new kid coming into the the school. Yeah, and, but you fit right in. See, you were I, pitching I was, these great jokes and great ideas. I was glad because I was I was I was intimidated just because it was a matter of. First of all, I mean, you know, how did how did you, how did you uh, yeah, and that's like it was just by just me asking him, and you guys had had this established relation, and it was just it was just weird to pop in, and I I, I didn't want to talk too much well, because I have ideas, but I don't want to sit there and you can't. First of all, I learned you can't dismiss any ideas uh, of other people, you know, even if I don't agree with them, you can't. And I just it was weird walking. In. It was it was cool dynamic, but it was just very odd, and it was such a different dynamic because you couldn't ask for 
more different people than you, Yakov, Mark, and me. I mean, I, if you I said, know. people, you don't understand. Lisa is a a woman who's done stand up and stuff like that. You know, she's hip. She you know she has she has her boyfriend. They have their own life. They have dogs. You know, everything. Yakov is you know sixty. He's Russian. You know, he's divorced. He was a huge star. Mark is very quiet. He seems very quiet. You know. I'm, I, don't, I think he's older than me. I don't know. I'm 50. I don't know how old he is, yeah. but just different. And me, I'm just just a guy. I mean, I I didn't wear shorts and a t-shirt the first day because I didn't. I wanted, I wore jeans and I was like, and I I usually like for a show I always dress like this. And one of the things people say is I always have cool t-shirts. And I've actually had people send me t-shirts, but it was just such a weird dynamic. But it was cool just to do it. Yeah. Were you nervous? I wasn't nervous. I was just. I didn't. You know. As I said, it was just weird how it all came up, and I didn't know what to expect. As I said, I was—I didn't know you guys were for over a few months together. I thought it was a newer idea, and so I wasn't nervous because I'm not worried about my com- comedic skills. Yeah, but I don't want to offend people, and I'm a quiet guy. I mean, I'm not when I'm on the radio, but I'm a quiet guy when I sit there and don't know someone. It's out of respect. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just—it's—I mean, you're going into a set where you guys were like, you know, thank God Yakov is because I. I bonded with Yakov but with you guys I don't know you guys and I'm like and, you know they're probably thinking who's this, who's this guy coming in one thing I love about Yakov is he's very humble and he's he picks good people he's I mean, a great guy people that are nice people everybody was nice and no egos I think you have to be I, that's the thing and I've you know you probably, you've probably met so many people in this business and, and I've had so many different people with a very good level of success on my show and they're like the nice, like Nia Vardalos. You cannot be nicer. I mean, she was like, when she sent me a message back on Facebook, oh, I'd love to do it. And I was like, well, this is, and she said, and I said, I'll switch this date for you. Oh, thank you. So, I mean, that's, I think what happens is when there's not an ego, right. you're going to last because when you're, an, right. you have an ego, it, it's, it just blows your whole thing out of, because people remember that. If you, I remember a guy who was a dick to me on my first pay gig in Philly. Now he's some hack out here and I see him and I, I went off on him one night because I remember, you know, if you're nice to people, it's going to come back. That's my feeling. Yeah. That's my well, feeling. It's all going to come back. We have uh, about four minutes left. See, that wasn't as bad as you thought. This see, was a blast. It flew. Thank you for so having we have, me. So we have a few minutes. So uh, give your info. Uh, just give any shows coming up. Which, by the way, I saw you were in uh, Shasta McNasty. Yeah. Do you remember that show? A guy I know named, uh, I haven't seen him forever. I can't believe I forget his name. With Vern Troyer? Yeah, but he wrote for it. We, he wrote for it for a little bit, this guy. George. I can't, George something the third I, I forgot his name I don't remember but, you know, but that's funny when I was looking and you work with Tony Danza yeah that's pretty I cool did. Tony Danza's the man yeah so okay so uh, what do we have uh, Go and, and the WebMD for the bipolar do you still do that um, I did uh, I did a little I think I did a little six episode web series it's okay. still up there um, I have a video blog that I love it's called things I wish someone would have taught me when I was younger so I could have had a happier childhood and not needed therapy medication self help books and 12 step programs just to be able to get along in life I think if you just google the first few <laughs> words you'll find that you don't have to google the whole thing people because after like the few and it, it doesn't start with I have a video blog don't okay so now is that on your website uh-huh. okay it is. on the on the pretty funny women uh-huh. pretty funny women.com yep well I wait where is it cuz I is that under the media? It's it's on the home page under more videos. Okay, I have you. I have the about Lisa because I was reading about you, and I went to do your commercial thing, and I it clicked to something else. But this is an old computer. Oh really? I want to see real. Well, I may need to, may need to update it. Now, do you have shows coming up? When's I your- do. We have a graduation showcase for my class, which is October second at Flappers, and we have an industry alumni showcase at the Comedy Store September twenty fourth. Okay, and that's so that now, and people can find all that on your on my website. Now, yep. you tweet. I do. Okay, you follow me on Twitter, yes. And, uh-huh. and what's your Twitter? My, well, I have two. One is at, at PF Women, okay. which is the Pretty Funny Women Twitter, and Lisa A. Sunstedt for my own personal. Do you do you tweet jokes? I don't tweet that much. You gotta get your tweet more. I find it to be sort of narcissistic. No, I always tweet jokes. Do you? I was tweeting like last night during the Eagles game. I said, I'm a big Philadelphia Eagles fan and John Gruden is the worst and he loved the quarterback and I said, if John Gruden's, what I say? I said, if John Gruden's head goes up further, uh, if John Gruden's head goes up Andrew Luck's ass any further, it's gonna pop out of his helmet. <laughs> I just, I tweet stuff like that. I don't, I don't, I mean, I'll tweet guests when they're coming. I tweet it for just social thing but I, I think if you tweet and you tweet good you just gotta start tweeting your jokes I will I, it's a lot of work don't yeah, you think yeah you think of a joke you 
tweet it. You make sure it's not 132 things, and you just yeah, it's easy. Okay. Well, yeah, you got all right. You got to tweet. You. you know, you got to tweet and follow her, and and, and all. Then you have the contacts, and people want to find out about your class. They go to the website. Yes, thank and you then, so much. And, Steve. and then your next class. My next October 14th. It starts. Tuesday night. It's the last class of the year. Okay. So, guys, check that out. And I want to thank you for coming on, Lisa. Thank you so and, much um, for having yeah, I'm me. I'm glad I got to meet you. It was a fun time. And so, people, please follow her. Also, you know what you can do? You can follow me on Twitter, at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have... I just pack, I just posted the Max Gale uh, Wojo from Barney Miller episode. He's number 292. So there's 292 episodes up there. Also, you can go to Stitcher or iTunes. Type in uh, Cooper Talk one word and you'll find that. If you have an Android device, whether it be tablet or phone, go to the Google Play Store. Type in Cooper Talk. That's a running theme, Cooper Talk, one word. And I have a little app you can check out. Also, my email has changed, but email me, please, cooper at coopertalk.net.com. Keep listening. Um, iHeartRadio's, we have seven, eight shows over there. We're just waiting to see it go up, so I'll tell you when that comes up. Every Tuesday uh, on San Fernando Boulevard in Burbank, I host Crappy Comedy at Jimmy's Place. Please come out. And that's about it. Keep listening. Okay, because without you guys, I'd be talking to myself, which I'm fine with, but keep listening. <laughs> I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. And don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. You guys have a great weekend. Don't drink and drive, and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>